Hello everyone, this is James from The World's Last Night. Guys, I've uh, realized, it's dawned on me, that I've mentioned preaching the gospel or the gospel as a phrase multiple times in the past several episodes, and I haven't really explained what that was, so for someone who's never read the Bible before, that can be a confusing phrase. Um, and so, briefly, I'll try to explain it real quick, and then we'll jump in to Genesis 33. Also, I don't have my contacts in, so if I'm really bad at reading, that's why I'm super blind. Um, in any case, the word gospel, it's either Aramaic or Greek, I forget which, um, but it literally means good news. So when people say preach the gospel, they're just saying preach the good news. Now, they're being very specific about it, what good news is that, and to understand that, you're going to have to Basically, actually, you know, we get a really great depiction of it in the Old Testament. What is the state of mankind in the Old Testament that we've read so far? Well, all the characters that we've seen have had immense sin in their life. They've been deceptive. They have cheated other people. They've, man, the Cain murdered his brother. So there's great examples of sin in the Old Testament and Unfortunately for us, it actually gets worse. I remember the first time I was reading the Bible from cover to cover, I had to take a break, like halfway through the Old Testament, and then go read the New Testament from cover to cover before I could go back and then finish reading the Old Testament, then the New Testament again. And the reason I had to take a break is because I feel like the Old Testament, because it lacks overt Christ, uh, it also lacks a, a somewhat of a life to it. And, um, and that's because things are going to get worse. Like you think you've seen the worst of it. You haven't. When we get halfway through the book of judges, you're going to be begging me for some good news. So in order to understand the good news, you have to understand the present state of mankind, which is dejected, sinful, um, scheming, every sort of evil, right? Well, the good news is that our past sins, they don't have to always separate us from God. The good news is that because of what Jesus did when he was crucified on the cross, the way he lived his life, and then the death he, he chose, and the resurrection from the dead, um, we have access to heaven and reconciliation to God. <laughs> Because scripturally speaking, our sin is what separates us from God. And everyone has that. The New Testament, I believe it's John, um, I think it might be 1 John, basically says that anyone who says they are without sin, they are liars. So, that's everyone. <laughs> um, everyone has sin in their life, and as such, our present state is separation from a holy God because he can't have anything to do with sin. As such, we need to see that that same stairwell that Isaac saw, I'm sorry, that Jacob saw to heaven. And as we know, as I read, Jesus is that stairwell. So we have access to heaven, and that is the good news. So when people say you're preaching the gospel, you're telling them about Jesus and how he has come to meet them where they are, not to condemn them because, well, they're already condemned by their sin, but to save them from their sin and save them from the wrath of God because, well, God is just and so he has to punish sin. So we're going to talk a lot more about that in the New Testament. 
as far as what the gospel is and uh, why it is God saves us and all of that. Um, but I just wanted to make sh to bring people up to speed on that. Now, one other thing is you may hear people talk about the Gospels. They're referring to four books in the New Testament. That would be the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of John, the Gospel of Luke, and the Gospel of Matthew. Um, in order, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we usually just say it by their names. We leave off the Gospel of. Um, but those are basically four books that chronicle Jesus' life from different perspectives. And we're going to break those down when we get to that in the New Testament. Okay, so here we are, verse 33. I'm sorry, chapter 33, verse 1. Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming towards him with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female slaves. He put the female slaves first, Leah and her sons next, and Rachel and Joseph last. He himself went on ahead and bowed to the ground seven times until he approached his brother. So he is quite literally uh, lining up his family members from his least favorite to his favorite. He's putting his favorite in the back, which looks like it's Rachel. And, uh, you know, we're going to find out his favorite son is Joseph later on. But this is a precursor to that, putting him in the back. Because, well, if Esau's come with 400 men to attack him, maybe they'll get tired or bored or have mercy by the time they're done slaughtering his family. So... Now, he bows to the ground seven times. Um, this is actually a documented reflection of sincere regret. In other words, I mean, we've, we have evidence of this since at least the 14th century BC in Egypt that people uh, would bow seven times ritualistically to show sincere regret and submission to another. So that's what Jacob is showing with this act to Esau. Uh, he's looking for mercy. Verse 4 says, But Esau ran to meet him hugged him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Then they wept. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he asked, Who are these with you? So God was working in both these men the whole time, it looks like. He humbled Jacob, or Jacob humbled himself, and Esau forgave his brother. And they didn't have to do much. They didn't have to talk it out. They didn't have to get closure or whatever. They, they both had contrite hearts, and they wept together. And Esau's asking about his uh, in-laws. So he answered, The children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female slaves and their children approached him and bowed down. Leah and her children also approached and bowed down. And then Joseph and Rachel approached and bowed down. So they're all submitting to Esau. So Esau said, What do you mean by this whole procession I met? To find favor with you, my lord, he answered. So he's, oh, the procession he's referring to is all, all the gifts that Jacob had sent ahead of time. And we're going to find out Esau didn't need them. <laughs> um, yeah, he says, I have enough, my brother. Esau replied, keep what you have. So he's not going to take the gifts. He's satisfied and content. Commentators like to point out Esau never desired, he didn't have a desire for the spiritual blessing that uh, his father had to give Jacob. He just wanted more of a physical blessing. He's more of a physical man, and he has become wealthy in his own right, so it seems, and he's now content. But Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor with you, take this gift from my hand, for indeed I have seen your face, and it is like seeing God's face since you have accepted me. I think that's a really powerful statement, and I can only shed it, uh, light on it by saying that it's 
you know, oh, geez, actually, I talked about this uh, two podcasts ago about forgiving someone. And I said that's more of like a divine quality, forgiveness. It's something that you really, if you really want to forgive someone, you have to pray that God does it on your behalf through you. And he's saying, you know, uh, when I see your face, it's like seeing God's face since you have accepted me. So Jacob is finding forgiveness from his brother Esau, who he wronged. And in doing so, he's seeing a little bit of the divine of that forgiveness and that grace in his brother. That's how I take that just from my own personal experiences. He says, please take my present that we brought to you because God has been gracious to me and I have everything I need. So both these people are saying that they are satisfied. Um, Then Esau said, let's move on and I'll go ahead of you. Jacob replied, my Lord knows that the children are weak and I have nursing sheep and cattle. If they are driven hard for one day, the whole herd will die. Let my Lord go ahead of his servant. I will continue on slowly at a pace suited to the livestock and the children until I come to my Lord at Seir. Now, you may not recognize it right now, but Jacob is scheming again. It didn't take him too long to go from being Israel, you know, leading his family to being Jacob once again. Esau said, let me leave some of my people with you. But he replied, why do that? Please indulge me, my Lord. So he's sending just spoilers. He's sending Esau to this city, um, Seir, which is south. And as we're going to find, Jacob is actually, once his brother leaves and he stays behind, he's get, we're going to find that Jacob heads north. So he still obviously doesn't trust Esau and wants to be separate from him. So on that day, Esau started on his way back to Seir, but Jacob went on to Sukkoth, which is north of Seir. He built a house for himself and stalls for his cattle. That is why the place was called Sukkoth. Sukkoth means stalls or huts, by the way. Um, After Jacob came from Padan Aram, he arrived safely at the Canaanite city of Sheshem and camped in front of the city. He purchased a section of the field from the sons of Hamor, Sheshem's father, for 100 kisitas. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And we don't know what the value of that currency is. Where he had pitched his tent, and he set up an altar there and called it God, the God of Israel. Okay, you will miss this if you weren't paying attention the last several chapters. But what Jacob is doing is actually sinful. It's it's disobedient. Uh, Commentators like to say he's compromising and... You know, Spurgeon, who was a theologian, would say that it would have been better that in this circumstance, Jacob just had outright disobedience than to sort of compromise. A few things. One, Jacob's supposed to be a a wanderer and foreigner in this land. He's not supposed to settle down. Remember, Lot kind of settled down. Jacob's not supposed to do that. He's supposed to be nomadic, uh, living in tents. And yet here he is building a hut, you know, buying some land. And in doing so, he's disobeying God. Now, what are God's reasons for that? Not so sure, honestly, but um doesn't necessarily matter. It's not what he's supposed to be doing. Secondly, if you remember, God told him to go to Bethel. He told him to go back to Bethel. But Jacob's not doing that. And what we're going to find in the next several chapters, unfortunately, I think the next chapter is one of those heinous ones, <laughs> Um What we're going to find in the next several chapters is that uh, Jacob's family is going to sort of pay the price for settling in this area 
and not going to the place God told him to go to and not living the way God told him to live. So that's actually the end of this chapter. Very short. Um, I don't really have much else to say about it, honestly. So until next time, this is James with The World's Last Night.